Welcome to RSN's Racing Pulse. Durston is coming at Gold Trip and got up. Durston has got up to win it for Mickey D. Rocket Horse. Rocket Horse has won it. Alligator Blood holding on. The Alligator win. Saki holding on. Saki back to back. Saki wins it. But it's Animo clear. I've thunderstruck late. Animo holding on. Animo this time for the big A. Gold Trip is going to win the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Gold Trip wins it in a real stage. For the next three hours, the breaking racing news, the stories, opinion, the mail, and the people who make racing happen. Here's Michael Felgate. Good morning and welcome to Racing Pulse on this Monday the 23rd of January. I hope you've had a great weekend. We've got so much to talk about as we do each and every Monday with the verdict. We'll look back on the meeting at the Valley. It was a girls day out, a history making day. Five different women riding winners on the weekend. It was absolutely magnificent to see Peter Moody once again tearing it up. His little boutique stable absolutely flying. Second on the trainers premiership which is quite remarkable. We're going to have a chat a little later to one of those ladies who had a day to remember. Amy McLucas who won on unflinching and may well be a name that we see a lot more in the Victorian form guides. We'll find out when we have a chat to Amy today. We'll also have a chat to Tony McAvoy who didn't have a city winner on the weekend, but he had one of the best days uh, since he began training. And Matty Stewart was there with him down at King Island. And we'll discuss what that experience was like. The pictures we've seen through racing.com and through social media looked absolutely fabulous. So we'll have a chat to T-Mac on the program today as well. A lot of issues to discuss over the past seven days. I'm very keen to get Matty's take on the... Cox Plate, the mooted move of the Cox Plate to back in November. Matty's been off for a week, so he hasn't really been unleashed on this issue. So looking forward to getting Matty's thoughts there as well. And also Sharknado's. Although, as I say good morning to Matty Stewart, we're a, we're a pair. We're not a threesome this morning. How are you? Good to see you, Matty. Good to see you, T. I've had, I've had to make it back across Bass Strait and I was here on time. And <laughs> I think Shark's uh, bringing in some potential sashimi offerings for us as well. Well, he'd need to, to make up for his well. tardiness. Because <laughs> he's never here on time. Uh, you, you're glowing. Uh, you copped a little bit of sun. But I get the sense that you've had a really good weekend down at King Island. What was it like? Unreal weekend. And I think when you talk to T-Mac, I like the way you've T-Mac'd him too. I think that's very good. Everyone's a Mac. It was K-Mac, then J-Mac, now T-Mac. Um, yeah, I think Tony will probably uh, cover it better than I will about the... Because he won it. He won the yeah. uh, the Miners Rest Cup. And the, the photos you would have seen on social media, that... Um, that elation from Kelvin and Tony, and you know what? And if you look at the, the the footage and the photos and so on, every other trainer was just as excited. I mean, I think Tony McAvoy genuinely felt it was one of the thrills of his training career. And we know about Sunlight and all the champions he's trained in the big wins and so on. But there was just something about it because it was more about the the context of it. It mm. wasn't. It was a thirty five thousand dollar race. It wasn't a three million dollar Group One, but it was. Uh, all about the story that I'm not going to bore you with it for much longer. We, we know the story. It's been well told. But uh, for him to, to be able to win the Miners' Rest Cup with uh, the given the the backstory of what had happened on the island uh, was a massive thrill for him. And, and the, the glow continued. I caught the plane with him. Talk about a 
white knuckle experience that one. Kelvin, was I think, a, struggled a bit with it. Was it a, a bumpy ride? Oh, well, it was a smooth day, but it was still a bit. Mm. Um, but even then, he was still still glowing, and uh, I think Tony will be best to describe why he was glowing. But it was uh, amazing weekend, great people, great island, amazing food, and the the day at the races was just absolutely gorgeous. So, hopefully. Hopefully it'll it it will lead to a pathway out of the the dire straits that they are in. Uh, there's, there's still a, a lot of complications there that haven't necessarily gone away because of this, but hopefully the awareness and the um, you know the the success of it will uh, will generate something. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Is there a want to make this a a yearly occurrence, the Miners Rest yep. Cup, where Australian uh, Victorian um, based horses and trainers head down there and yep. you've got the, the sponsorship dollars as well? Yeah, I think so. I, 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 my gut feeling is it's going to be more difficult to repeat it um, than... than uh, I think the trainers too are... You know, a lot of them are very big operators and it's yearling sale time as well. So I think the... It's on. It's, I don't think it should be on them to 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 make sure this continues. They started it, and now I think it's basically up to Taz Racing and any other jurisdiction that believes in preserving racing's history, and that will take us to the Cox Plate later on as well, I suppose. Uh, whether they, if they believe in that and they think there's a, a a way that it can continue, how how much are they prepared to? How far are they prepared to go to support it? Well, if you missed it, here's a little snapshot of what. The Miners Rest Cup Day at King Island was like, and then we'll have a chat to Tony McAvoy. And here's Afridi finishing off strongly. It's Neverest Dan in front. Afridi the outside trying hard. Neverest Dan and Afridi, the favourite arrives in time. Afridi won the cup, defeating Yeah, straight to the pool room, this one. Uh, yeah, very proud moment, and what a joy it was, and what a race. It was really thrilling, and uh, uh, the crowd, I stood up on the hill there, and everyone just absolutely loved it, so it was fabulous. We didn't have the best run in the race, but we're able to keep him happy, keep him travelling within himself and we're able to get there where it matters. What a great day. We're just um, we're just happy to be a small part of it and um, you know the atmosphere here has been fantastic and you know it, it's the whole build up, a little bit of sledging and the Calcutta last night. Our horse was bought by some really good clients in Linda Huddy and Graham Huddy and, and Coolmore and um, made some good money for charity so it's all worked out and Tommy got the job done. I think that's the whole thing about this weekend. I mean we're all coming here and having fun. We go and leave and the other yeah. locals are still here so We'd love to feel like we've been able to leave something uh, for today, but also for the future. And I don't know about you, now that I've come once, I know I'll come back again. And I'll feel a relationship with this club and with this island and this community. So I think that's going to be the best thing I take out of all of this. So the great Bruce McAvaney made it down to King Island mm. as well. And uh, as we welcome the Sharknado who has arrived. Sharky, great to see you. Hello, gentlemen. Yeah, it was good. I, I was thinking of you, Matty. You, you mentioned the white knuckle plane ride. I gave you a call on Friday before you boarded said aircraft just to make sure everything was in ship shape. No, it was it was safe, but it was when you, when you hit the go over the land it, it sort of has a I think there's a different air ratio or something we like allowed that. to take uh, only a, a small amount of luggage no that's what I thought I thought we were going to have to jettison some trainers so to lighten <laughs> the load uh, I, I could dob in too Simon Morris was being constantly comforted by Susan his wife and he was trying to be brave but you could just tell oh. and T, the very own T-Mac's uh, um, K-Mac um, Cal- C-Mac, Kelvin uh, McAvoy. I-, I reckon I was reading his body language. He was sitting next to me and I thought, 
Mm, he's taking a few deep breaths here, and he's clinging onto the headrest. So I feel for him. I, think, I would not. I would not get in on anything that size. Like a small plane, no. You wouldn't want to be Joel Garner. Seriously, you've got to really sort of crouch down. But um, I don't know if Tony's there, but he might be able to well, dob in Kelvin. Well, we might. And then they, of course, had to bring the trophy back as well. So there was some extra cargo. You know what? They left it with Tommy Doyle. I'll tell you a quick story because I, I want to know if, <laughs> uh, if Tony's actually got it. I was on the, the bus with Tommy, who's a legend. He said, I don't know what to do. He's given me the trophy and I, I don't want to lose it, but he, he's entrusted me with it. I said, give it to the local <laughs> cop and then get it off him the next day. So I'd be fascinated to know if Tony has actually got the, the crayfish trophy. Well, he joins us now. Good morning, Tony. Well done on what was a, a great weekend. And have you got the trophy? Uh, good morning, Michael. Morning, guys. Uh, no, what we've decided to do is leave it uh, on the island and put it up in the pub Brilliant. and make it a little perpetual trophy. And uh, hopefully this this concept can keep going and we can have little, uh, little plaques uh, on it uh, for the winners of that current year. Well, Tommy Doyle will be relieved because he was panicking in the bus, Mac, because he, he said they've entrusted me with it and I don't want to lose it. So uh, hopefully it'll, it's found its way to the pub. <laughs> yeah, it is. We put it behind the bar there and uh, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take it from here. How was the bar, Tony? Was it pumping in there after the races or before the races? Look, the Friday night had a tremendous feel about it. I've been to a lot of country carnivals having come from the bush myself and... And those towns, they are lit uh, the night before an event. And it had a great, uh, great feel about it on the Friday night. And, um, and, and the reason I know that, I was there for a very long time. I was there for that long. I felt like I owned the joint. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, and then on the Saturday night uh, after the races, it was absolutely fabulous. It was just what those communities uh, need. There's no doubt about that. And racing has a history of making these small grassroots events very memorable and i think we should try and do more of that i know maddie you're a huge advocate of this but it's not all about the multi-million air races and the and the dominators these are horses that um couldn't win a race here on the mainland but they're just as much um respected and loved and entertaining for everyone that gets there these are things tony that'd be great to see more of, and I know we do Warnable, we do other great country carnivals as well, but Country Racing Victoria with RV should get together and try and have something like this here in Victoria, Tony. I reckon it would be brilliant. Yeah, look, Michael, you're quite right. Like, I think we purchased, you know, clearly they were very slow, those horses, and they got down there and ran against each other, and it was a very thrilling race. Like, it was really exciting. Uh, and uh, and they were all in their right level together. So it can be done. Um, and like you say, uh, again, my roots are from small communities where there's just all run by volunteers. They haven't got any money. But those little towns survive. Uh, they thrive on those weekends where they have a race meeting, one a year or two a year, whatever it is. And we're putting millions and millions of dollars into these big races, which is very exciting and fantastic. But... It's for so few, whereas uh, if money was spent on this uh, at this level, uh, it goes to a greater audience and and um, and should be more of it. I heard some commentary sort of back into last week as we were looking forward to this meeting that, you know, maybe the King Island meeting could become a bit of a destination trip. Is you know having been there and experienced it yourself, is the is the town, is the community big enough to sort of hold a few tours or things like that, or groups of people coming over to, to enjoy this race day? Well, Shark, I think it's got to be spread out a little bit. 
you know, um, they hosted us fantastically. I think there was 100 golfers on the island, and I think we took we took something like 80 or 90 people in in the group that went down. So it, it was there was no accommodation left anywhere. But but the the, um, the they fed us, uh, they watered us, and they hosted us beautifully with with uh, incredible produce and fresh produce and. But but it, you couldn't make it too big because they just couldn't cater for it. So you'd have to do it in a way that it spreads itself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know that that little community, uh, I'm not sure what money was bought in, but uh, you know we think it cost about a hundred odd thousand dollars to to do the bit that we did, uh, and and uh, and that's without what the race club made by selling all their their stubby holders and the grog all day and they sold out there was very little left at the end and uh, and the restaurants and the and the bakery with the famous crayfish pies like it was just fantastic and and uh, I wouldn't change it too much because then the quality would drop because they wouldn't have the uh, wouldn't be able to supply it all Mac, what's the the key to sustainability of it now? Obviously, the the, the call to arms went out, and 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 the response from Chris Diplock uh, and the miners' rest trainers um, was a great assistance to it. But Chris Diplocks don't grow on trees, and and life will move on for the miners' rest trainers as well. And it's going to be uh, more and more difficult to make it a, an annual commitment. So, what 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 is the seek the key to this uh, impetus continuing on? Is it meaningful support from say? Has racing and maybe a mainland jurisdiction to offer some sort of uh, financial motivation for, for trainers to do a Chris Diplock or, or 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 something similar to keep it going. It's it's it, I think the danger now is to assume that everything's fine and dandy now, but there's still going to have to be uh, a lot of thinking and planning as to what what happens next. Yeah, look, I, I don't think it is fine and dandy at all because. You know, it takes a lot of energy to pull that, all that together. And uh, Wayne and El Kratzman, um, mm. who work for Henry, they just were tireless through the whole weekend. And someone's got to do that. Um, and at the end of the day, we're just racehorse trainers. I mean, I think it's something that um, the government of Tasmania have got to take up with their tourism dollar or, 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 or something like that. But the industry, why wouldn't we be blooding our young trainers there and young jockeys there? You know, to send just give someone a license to go down there with three or four or five or six horses and do their first year of training down there and uh, and that would keep that industry going and give them a start for them to branch out to go where they wanted to go it'd be uh, that would be the way that it, that it could keep going and even jockeys as well I mean I've spoken to a lot of remember the issue that blew up in Tasmania a couple of years ago with the, 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 the two female apprentices who um, there was a strike because the seniors didn't think they were yep. skilled enough to ride yet Mac I thought the picnic circuit here was a good blooding ground, and but maybe the King Island circuit might be something that we could fill that sort of progressive void instead of them going from four claimers without, who've ridden in a few jump outs into race conditions against uh, the Daniel Gandidans and all these uh, top jockeys down there. Maybe, maybe it, this could be one of those steps along the journey, the, the King Island summer. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and uh, I think it's the only way it will survive. But, but you've got to get uh, the trainers down there you know, Jimmy Taylor's not going to be training for a lot longer, and uh, and Robert Keys, those guys. There, we need some we need some new young stock uh, down there coming through, and that's uh, that's the only way the place will survive. I'd say uh, uh, in racing. 
Well, you speak of that uh, coming up on um, the Big V, which is going to start at 11 today with Sean Cosgrove. I think he's going to have a chat to uh, young Makisha Salter, who wrote her first winner uh, at King yeah. Island yesterday. So those are the great little storylines. And I must say, um, I- I'm not familiar with the work of um, Tommy Dore, but gee, he looks like a cracker. Um, I-, I-, I love seeing him post-race. What, what, didn't he become the hero of the day, Mac? Was he ever? But can't you see him on the front page of Enjoy uh, Inside Racing? Yes. Like, like he is uh, model material. With that, uh, my plan was when I went down there was to give him a haircut until I saw it <laughs> firsthand. It, it's his trademark, that hairdo, and uh, he, he's a fabulous little guy. And uh, uh, if everything goes to plan, he'll be coming to Ballarat and uh, writing a bit of work for us at Ballarat Fantastic. to. Uh, See what he wants to do for the next stage of his uh, of his career. I had a good chat to him. He grew up in Longreach, and he he's, he was you know the, the traditional outback horseman. Mac, he, he was telling me about a, there was a race that had seven runners in it, and he'd broken in five of the runners. So he's he's not just a like a, a sideshow. He's a he's a proper old school outback horseman. This this guy isn't he? He really is. And I, I came, you know, we went down. We've we've had very little to do with it, of course, the preparation of that horse, but. I went down into the, the, the club, wanted us to be down there, us trainers in the mounting yard to leg the jockeys on. And he came out and uh, he was a little bit nervous. <laughs> uh, and uh, I just said, oh, what's your plan? And he had a plan and he executed the plan. So he's, uh, he, he really impressed me and, uh, and, and it was just uh, fabulous and great fun. Gee, he must enjoy a few of those crayfish pies. I'm looking at his recent riding weights. On the 18th, he was riding at 55, and he was riding uh, a freedy on the weekend at 65. There's a 10-kilo fluctuation. We don't see that too often from a jockey, do we? No, we do not. We do not. But he was in the uh, he was in the bakery on Saturday morning having a crayfish pie. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> uh, Matty's taken a few with him as well. Don't worry about that. Hey, Ty, just changing tax to... What's been the discussion point locally here in the past week? And you're a Cox Plate winning trainer. What's your view on the proposed move to maybe running the Cox Plate in the, the final weeks of November? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, it comes with a tinge of sadness for me with uh, to be moving one of the great races of this country. But uh, as we saw on Champions Day, the final day of the carnival, I'd say that's probably nearly as good a meeting that I've been to. Uh, change uh, does work and uh, I, I think uh, it'll fit in very well. Sadly it's interfering, it's going to interfere with the Ballarat Cup meeting uh, but that'll have to find a new home and it will and uh, um, I, I think um, I think everyone's scared of change uh, but in most cases change is for the better and if they can convince the Mini Valley Racing Club, which they've got a job to do, I'd say. But uh, I think it'll be fine. So you wouldn't have any concern about getting horses back for a an autumn carnival? The autumn would have to move as well. Right. It would have to come back a little well, so uh, uh, go back a little bit as well. Because, like, if you think at the moment, you finish the final day at Flemington, or if you even go to Sandown, or, or you know, that next meeting... You, your horses only get about three weeks off and then you've got to get them back in for the autumn. So, so if they're going to do this, um, those races that those elite horses will be targeting have got to be pushed back a little bit in the autumn as well, uh, which then will probably impact on an Adelaide Carnival or a Brisbane Carnival. So it's, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do, but it's doable. So you'd be in favour of, say, have, have a crack at it? 
Yeah, why not? Why not? I mean, clearly they've thought it through. And uh, and these are the guys that are making uh, the decisions for the betterment of our sport. So, so um, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a supporter. Hey, one last one. Um, Sunlight's sister, Yulong, uh, $2.6 million. Who's training it? Uh, Chris Waller. Okay. Uh, I was hoping you might have been in the mix there for a bit. <laughs> well, you've had the, you've had the best one out of that mix so far, Max. So no regrets. Well, I thought I was in the mix. I pulled together two million dollars to buy her and ran third. So that was a bit of a kick in the guts. I got to tell you. Was she a bit uh, of a was she a bit of a sunlight? I mean, I know a lot of them haven't looked anything like her. Is this the closest to her? Oh yeah, like this. This was sunlight plus some uh, mm. to me. Mm. She was a little had a little bit more scope. Than sunlight. Sunlight was just a complete uh, compact powerhouse. Well, this filly was a powerhouse with another four inches of length in her, and uh, she was. Um, I, I already had her name picked out. Had we got her, I was going to call her Elizabeth because she's a queen. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, gorgeous. you'll just have to knock her off now. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I hope I got something quick enough to do it because she'll be uh, she'll be an elite racehorse, I'd say. Tony, great to catch up. Well done on the weekend, mate, and uh, hopefully we will get to see this happen uh, in perpetuity as well. Yeah, lovely. No, it was great fun and great to be part of the, the tiny little piece that we played. But to be part of it was very very exciting. Tony McAvoy joining us there, boys. We'll. We will have a full discussion about the changes for spring, but we'll do that after 9 o'clock. I want to get through a few SMSs as we take a break into the 9 o'clock news. Uh, hello all, well done. It was like Deloraine only 20 years ago. King Island was close to gone. Let's work to keep it alive. That's Phil from Tasmania who's uh, listening. Uh, there's other ones here saying they make it so hard to get a licence these days that little trainers won't bother and grassroots racing is virtually gone. Um, hey boys, we had an iconic race meeting in Victoria yesterday, Great Western. Not much publicity from the industry and all the money and publicity to King Island. High ratio, Warwick Nabil sent that in. Um, he's got a point there because I watched some of those King Island, uh, uh, Great Western races yesterday. I was like, I'd love to get there to mm. that meeting. And and maybe Country Racing Victoria did drop the ball a little bit here because we have not had much promotion or publicity of that iconic Great Western meeting. And... Um, Maybe there needs to be a bit more proactivity in those areas to say, hey, we've got Camden Out Cup yesterday, we've got Great Western, let's put a bit more advertising on RSN, advertising on racing.com, get the messaging out there and build it up even bigger than what it is to have people go there for an event. Absolutely. I mean, Camperdown, I mean, I've, I've covered that before as well with the iconic old grandstand and the plight to save it and the coffee table book that was created and the local volunteers. So... On this particular occasion, the big story happened to be out of our jurisdiction and it happened to be in the middle of Bass Strait. So I don't think uh, you know anyone can say, oh, well, how, how come you haven't looked after the Victorian country stories? Because sometimes a story comes up that uh, uh, is just bigger than that. You know, it's, it was just had all the elements. So, But as you say, I mean, um, you know, these, these, these country cups where, you know, I think all three of us have got a strong affection for them and... Um, it's just a matter of finding the right um, uh, the boxes to tick. Like, what what are people really attracted to about these stories and so on? And yeah. nothing matched the King Island story this time around. But who's to say there won't be a, another story just as big? Birdsville, all these sort of things—they're all big stories. There's a great tourism angle, I think, with racing, particularly those 
places far flung country meetings, but also the the closer to home country cup meetings as well, picnic circuit in Victoria, everything else. We all know that very well, but there is a tourism angle that we could do better, I think, as a sport. And there are some tour groups. There are some smaller organisations that run these bus trips and charters and things around to picnic race clubs and and some of the country uh, race meetings. But the the pilgrimage aspect, I think, Matt, we probably need to move on from that a bit. There is a commercial opportunity to go to a lot of these smaller meetings and to make it an event. Yep. Now, King Island, we heard Mac say that the weekend's uh, push, I guess, the, the... publicity around that it, it filled the place <laughs> there was no accommodation left so there is a critical mass that can be reached with some venues particularly king island given what it is but others there is great opportunity i think to not only take in a race meeting but tie it to a regional food wine culture tour trip yeah there's experience. No, no doubt about that I, I think there's a lot more that can be done in that Racing area needs to be we need to drive that we and need that's, to drive that, not just wagering. And that's we need that's to drive about getting that. the new people involved as well. Like you, you, you put a, a winery tour with a, a feature race day, which they do do, but we, we could have it done a bit more regularly with a bit more emphasis on it to get those people to make a weekend of it. Hey, we need to take a break. On the other side of this, we're going to talk about Mooney Valley. Five women rode winners at Mooney Valley. I think that's history. I, don't, I can't remember another time with a five different women who rode a winner on a Saturday Metropolitan meeting. We're going to talk Sydney. We're going to talk all the issues as well after nine. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is The Verdict. Kingston Town can't win. Then LA Bajou and the three-year-old Grosvenor running on. My Axman took the lead from Fearless Pride. Grosvenor coming down the outside is after them. My Axman in front. Grosvenor and Kingston Town flashing. He might win yet the champ. Grosvenor took the lead. Oh, Kingston Town swapping them. Kingston ruled in front from the Phantom diving up on the inside. Kingston ruled on the Phantom from Narbotto. It's Kingston ruled here. Give Barty's eight. Kingston ruled from the Phantom. Third is Mr. Brooker. Then Narbotto fourth and back behind. Gee, two champion racehorses wearing those iconic silks. Uh, the yellow with the red cap and the, the red um, stripes down the sleeves that were David Haynes' colours. And uh, David Haynes passed away over the weekend, age 92. He had a great life uh, a billionaire who back in the late 80s and early 90s he was probably the most prolific or well-known owner Maddie. those mm-hmm. colors were absolutely iconic uh, a few of the others were obviously the kingston horses spirit of kingston rose of kingston who you'd know very well Maddie. I-, I think 35 group one wins as an owner and they were all in that era because he basically walked away from racing in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, he's, he's sort of... And probably 14 or 15 of those group ones were Kingston Town, weren't they? Yeah. So, yeah, he was sort of a, a fairly... Even when he was prominent, he was he wasn't prominent. If you know what I mean, he was he was re- not not a, an up and about sort of owner. He, uh, I remember the, the the things I remember are the shots of him in the the sort of safari suit era with the aviator glasses around with Tommy Smith. That was the sort of the he looked like a really cool cat back in those days around Kingston Town. He was probably, you know, in his late fifties, early sixties, and had that sort of uh, uh, that urbane sort of look about him. And um, yeah, I, I met him through Kathy, his daughter, one of his five kids uh, at Portland House on the top of Collins Street many, many, oh, not many years ago, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, 
to do a story on they were resurrecting the, the bloodstock interest a little bit. They they bought a farm up at Rochester, I think, Shark, and they were starting to rekindle the breeding operation. I think more more through with Kathy's hand than than her father's. But had a lovely chat to him, reflecting on uh, you know the glory days in Kingston Town. He he was not a very sentimental guy. I mean, I, I said something like, oh, do you still think about Kingston Town from time to time? He said, no, not really. <laughs> um, uh, and I remember uh, I was instructed to please, he was very shy of, like a lot of billionaires, very shy of his his wealth. And uh, the instruction was, oh, look, please play down the the billionaire bit. And uh, I didn't <laughs> tell the sub-editors who's put the headline in that the billionaire is back <laughs> on the story. So... I'm not sure. I didn't cop, <laughs> cop the wrath of the uh, uh, the uh, the Haynes family for that, but um, yeah, like he was uh, he lucked in with Kingston Town, really, didn't he? But yeah, you'd only luck in Shark when you put in a heavy investment, and he had all the other Kingston horses. He was very much a uh, a superstar of an era for me, the '80s for me. When I think about David Haynes, well, the colours. I reckon Kingston rules Melbourne Cup. That's the first Melbourne Cup memory I have. That's really vivid. And it's the colours, you know, the, the yeah. gold with the red stripe yep. sleeves. Like it, it is so burnt into my memory. Yep. Watching that at my friend's place, having a barbecue with a few families on a little TV under a gum tree, and watching that horse, <laughs> like that, those mm. colours will forever yeah. yep. live in my mind. And I think there's probably a, a lot of people in my age group that would feel similarly about those horses. Yep. You know, yep. even the. Uh, the Portland horses that sort of came mm. after the Kingston mm. horses. Portland yeah. Prince, was it? There was, player, a, Port- Portland, was a Portland player. Pirate as well, I Portland remember. Player. Yeah, there was a really good filly as well that won an Oaks. I can't remember mm. her name mm. off the top of my head. But those colours that those, you know, late 80s, But it was mainly the flashing uh, image of Kingston Town at the Valley, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, that was the, yeah, yeah, the colours. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Kingston yeah. Rule's still the fastest Melbourne yep. Cup. Yep. has a record. Yep. Rose of Kingston, yep. Rose of Portland. But they were all a cluster. It was a bit like the um, the Nick Collum champions yes. uh, 10 years later. They all came in a row. So, well, that, well He was a, of a similar era, wasn't he, when they all um, were winning yep. Group 1 races. Hey, um, Sharky, what did you take out of the Valley on Saturday? I thought it was a, a good meeting. Uh, I was happy with the meeting uh, from a punting perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. It ran pretty much true to form. Um, Shuffle Dance is probably the horse that you want to take out of the meeting. It was... An, arrogant win you were having some nervous moments coming to the 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 corner trying to get a run but obviously Betty Mellon had such a lapful of horse under him he was able to have a bit of patience and she just exploded yeah she's a nice filly you'd like to think on the back of that she could be really competitive in those early like late summer early autumn sort of group listed group three fillies races you'd think she'd be in those sort of events up to her ears it was a good win I didn't mind the run of the fourth horse, actually, when he gets out over a trip onto a bigger track, proprietary. Greggy Rell's got a really nice horse there. Uh, he's one to to put in the book for later on as well. Uh, yeah, the competitive racing. The stories of the day was Peter Moody's continued success this season. And as you said, a boutique stable. He's doing pretty well to be sitting second on the uh, premiership, isn't he? But also the success of the... The women jockeys on the day. That was absolutely fantastic. Amy McLucas getting her first win in Victoria with unflinching for the Freedmans. And then the postscript to that being the Freedmans are trying to recruit her to get her down here to Victoria to to be their apprentice and, and to set up shop in Victoria, which I think it'd be great, Maddie. And, and another, you know, listening to her excitement and joy in that post-race interview, you know, she... She'd be another great addition to the riding ranks here. 
Absolutely. And Alana Liversey's smashing it out of the park in South Australia at the moment. She's mm. had the one of the best trots in the last three months of any jockey in the history of South Australia. Alana Liversey, the, the apprentice jockey. Uh, and the Moody, uh, I don't... It's I don't remember a streak like it, like Moody's, in a way, like in such a short period of time. And Felgate, we went through the stats before about, you know, exactly, you know, he's got half the horses of Mar Houston and he's, and he's biting on their heels, basically, mm. for the premiership. And that's just extraordinary given the actually high strike rate of Mar Eustace as well. So, so, so from a Metro standpoint, Mar Eustace have had 47 winners this season, um, 15.5%, 303 runners. Peter Moody is running second, 35 winners, so 12 behind. Um, but he's only had 155 runners. So his strike rate is 22.6 in the metropolitan region. So that's one winner every five horses he saddles up in town, uh, which is quite remarkable halfway through yeah. the season. And he go, and the Valley seems to be his go-to. He's got a terrific strike rate there. Uh, you know what else? You know what's going to have to. You know what we're going to see a lot more of shark, don't yeah. you? We'll shadow, shadow rolls from other stables. They're all going to be going. I don't know why it works. I'm just going to start we're just doing, doing it. it. I'm just, just going to start doing it. He had a um, a good chat yesterday with was on correct weight Peter Moody. This is what he had to say about the success of his stable. Well, listen, we've got a few nice horses, genuine carnival horses uh, coming along. Like we trial the likes of like we shall win a chain of lightning. Uh, Boogie Dancer, they all have a spin round on Tuesday, but we do appreciate that our numbers will uh, sort of dwindle during that genuine carnival period. Like, we've got 40 in the barn at home, and, uh, you know, it's good that nearly every horse, there's probably only a handful of them aren't in race condition, uh, and that's courtesy of a great sort of network we've got with our pre-trainers uh, getting the horses ready for them. I know people sort of quite often have a shot at me uh, about suggesting that we've only got a 40 horses in work. Well, we've only got 40 in our barn, but, you know, like every stable, we have a lot of horses in pre-training and we use Lauriston at the beach. So we keep these horses ticking over and try and keep them going at the right time of year. But when we get to the better races, we are going to, you know, we're going to fall off the radar a bit. We respect that because we don't have the numbers of the big yards to be ultra competitive uh, uh, during the middle of the carnival, where we'll, you know we'll go from having five or six each Saturday at the moment to probably having one or two. So, like I say, you, you put them where they can win, where, where place them to advantage. Um, but you know we'll, we'll chip away, and uh, you know we're not thinking premierships or anything like that. We're just trying to get return on the dollar for our owners. The prize money's terrific at the moment, and that's what he's done. He's made his stable a city class stable. I was talking to him. Uh, a few weeks ago, it might have been when we went on that Japan trip, and he said um, he won't have a horse that he doesn't think he can win a city race with in the stable because he's only got so few boxes. He's he's like, we, we weed them out. If they're no good, we'll send them to a country trainer. You can still make your money, but we want metro-class horses in our stable. No, definitely. And it, it makes it a different model than the, the old Weir model and maybe even the Mar Eustace model where, where they, they still have different levels of horses in the stable that they, they'll run them at Bar and Beat and places like that. And so Moody's is more um, high-tuned boutique than uh, than sort of the other stables that have a different financial model, you might say. So, geez, it's, it, it really is incredible. I, I, it just goes to show... Um, a few of us were talking about it uh, over down at King Island when these winners were rolling in. And, uh, you know, even the, the really great trainers were down there were saying, the, guy, the man's just a freak. He, you know, he's... 
we've discussed it a lot of times. He's gone from scratch again, and, and look what's happened in two years. So unbelievable. The other, the other thing is, if you've got majority of your horses in city class racing, you're getting more bang for your buck. When they're winning, they're winning more money. So that makes things economically easier. You can you can have a, you can shrink the stable and make more money. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. So. The other good story out of uh, Mooney Valley, I thought in the weekend. I know we sort of have a bit of a clip at him whenever he goes around, given what he could have been sold for once upon a time and the issues that followed thereafter. But ain't no deal done for those connections to stick with that horse. Eight hundred and something days between wins. Well, he was, and for them to box get, bound for almost twelve months, wasn't he? Yeah, and for them to get a win in town, that's that's a really good story and a really good result for the entire Friedman team who put countless hours and months of rehab into this horse uh, to get him back to a standard where he can compete, let alone win in town. And the owners for, for being that patient and waiting it out with him. That's yeah, a great story. It's a, it happens a bit, Matt, doesn't it, where people sort of have faith, unwavering faith in the horse. And maybe there's a a fork in the road where there's a sale or a retirement or something could have happened and it didn't and they persist and keep going, it, it's good for them to get reward for effort. And it's not about bank balances, owning horses, no. because you know that you're going to come out on the wrong end of it mostly. But, but this is, again, something we were talking about, about why do people race horses? And it's, uh, it's you know, why do people race horses on King Island, for instance? So... Uh, it's because it's a lifestyle choice. It's like if you want to go for a weekend and play golf down there, it's going to cost you money, but you don't expect a return. And it's like owning a horse and a, like a eight now deal done. You, you want to nurse it through because you, it makes you feel damn good um, when he comes out and wins and everything yeah. makes sense. So absolutely, yeah. You mentioned um, Amy McLucas before. We're going to have a chat to her now because she had her first look at Mooney Valley, and she ended up a winner. Further back, Josie Lynn unflinching the leader. Lady Solly's a length away and unflinching at the moment, holding her at bay. Running on Josie Lynn, but unflinching in front. And unflinching is going to go home for Amy McLucis and win by a length. Fair to say not many people knew of Amy before Saturday, but the punters were cheering because it was a very mature ride on the $1.90 favourite. The pressure was on, missed the start a little bit, but didn't panic, and it's great to catch up with Amy this morning. Amy, congratulations. What kind of a buzz was that on Saturday? Good morning, yes, that was that was unreal. It was a massive buzz. And Amy, it might set the wheels in motion for a bit of a change in scenery for you. We heard post-race conversations, maybe the Freedmans are trying to do some recruiting and get you down to Victoria uh, on a more permanent basis. How, has yeah. that got legs? Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I'm thankful for the opportunities, obviously, and the chance that I might be going down. And it's it's on the cards, but I've just got to figure out figure out exactly what I'm doing. Just we were talking to Tony McAvoy earlier about how nervous Thomas Doyle was coming out to ride the the even yeah. money favourite in the Miners' Rest Cup. Dollar ninety favourite for Anthony Friedman. <laughs> How did that feel as you were legged on? I was I was fine until I put the colours on, and then it sort of really kicked in, and I just started to feel a little sick. There was just there was a lot of pressure with it, but I just had to keep my head level, and I knew I could execute it if the horse was there. And unflinching's a very naturally fast horse, and he can at times be prone to sort of overdoing it a little bit. Was that in the back of your mind uh, going to the start, that it was more about getting him in a rhythm and and sort of using that speed rather than letting him get a bit carried away with things? Yeah, it was a little, but the way he sort of cannoned around to the gates, he was very calm and 
it's like he knew he had to look after me, to be honest. And, yeah, he went around really level-headed and he stood in the gates lovely. So I wasn't actually too worried, to be honest. What went through your mind, though, when you did miss the kicker half? Um, not a lot. I knew, I know that he can sort of do that and I know that he can muster after he does that. So I knew that I'd drawn well, so I just had to be quick to sort of put myself there without doing too much to make him over race and... Once he sort of was there and I was able to keep that one-off spot outside the leader, it was the job was basically three quarters done. <laughs> hey, Amy, what's what's your story? Uh, where did it all start for you? It started down south in Maria, in a little town, sort of a few hours south of Sydney, and I started track work and loved it and felt the buzz, and I couldn't be stopped. I just wanted to keep going. So was there any history of racing in the family? Not really, no. <laughs> so what do, you, what do your parents say when you said, hey, you know those big 500-kilo horses that go <laughs> 70 k's an hour? That's what I want to do. No, they were really supportive of it. They, they've pushed me along ever since. And, yeah, it's been great. They, they love sort of following me along, and they've just been great with the support. What is it with girls and horses, Amy? I know it's a difficult question for you to answer, but it's it's it, without the female involvement historically and even more in recent times, the industry would really struggle. The 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 ratio of female to male is now heavily uh, loaded the, 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 of, with more, far more females uh, coming through, including through the, the apprentice jockey ranks. What is the aff- affiliation between females and horses and race horses? I'm not sure. That is a hard one to answer, but... Um, what was it for you personally, then? I, I did have a little bit of horsey background with with my family, just nothing with the races. Um, but, I don't know, I've just been drawn to it. And what was it like on Saturday? Because it was a girl's day out at the Valley. Uh, yeah, it was. I think it's a, a history-making day where we've had five different women ride a Metro winner. Yourself, Linda Meach, um, also Celine Gaudry, Carlene Heffel, and obviously Jamie Carr. So what was it like sharing the jockey's room on Saturday? And did Jamie, I believe, give you a bit of a hand in, in telling you how to ride the valley? She did, yeah. I'm thankful for that. She actually walked, walked the track with me and showed me the key points where I should be sort of getting on my bike and moving into the race and um, yeah, I'm thankful for that. And all the girls in the jockey room that day, they were all really lovely. Does that sense of camaraderie and community in the jockey's room that you experienced Saturday, does that help the decision if there is an opportunity to perhaps relocate to Victoria, that you're going to a place where, you know, you know it's a good environment, a good working environment, and people are, I guess, collegiate and, and helpful of each other in a professional sense? Yeah, definitely it is a big help it's obviously a workplace is obviously much nicer when you can get along with everyone and have a bit of banter and whatnot so it's definitely more more encouraging who were your jockey heroes growing up um i always sort of watched a lot more of the the country girls i've always watched kayla nisbet she used to be down in victoria and winona coston and i've always watched kath o'hara and rachel king 
And you know, if you come to Melbourne and you're indentured to the Freedmans, I've got a pretty big history with finding young star apprentices back when Anthony was with the FBI. They found a young kid called Damien Oliver. So <laughs> what was it like when the phone rang and, uh, and the Freedmen said, hey, we want you to come to Melbourne and, and ride and maybe stay a bit longer? Well, that was sort of... It was kind of news to me on Saturday, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's massive to know that, you know, I'd never met them before Saturday or spoken to them before Saturday and... Um, just for them to put me straight on a horse that is is a short price favourite and they think it can win, that was obviously a massive feeling for me. Well, you didn't let anyone down on Saturday, so hopefully we'll we'll get to see a bit more of you. When do you think you'll make a call and and be able to get everything sorted to maybe make a, a move to Victoria for a period? I'm not exactly sure. There's the apprentice system in Victoria is a bit different to ours. I can't just sort of jump ships and come over. I've, I've got to go through the system. I think I'm not exactly sure how it works, but uh, I guess when and if I get the tick of approval, it'll it'll definitely maybe be on the cards. Well, fingers crossed. Uh, I think you'd be a great asset to our racing and riding ranks. There's no doubt about that. Well done on the weekend, Amy. Thank you very much. You know who's flying too? Who's Nikita that? Berryman. Did you see the, the horse that she's been winning on up in Brisbane? No, she's I missed that. She's absolutely flying at the moment, Jeez. Nikita Berryman. And she rode... This is a horse that she rode to a seven-and-a-half-length win two starts back. And its name is... I can't find it now. Here it is. Where it is it? Uh, anyway, uh, she rode a, a, again. It went around at odds on it uh, in Brisbane on Saturday, and it absolutely bolted in again for Nikita. And uh, so she's got herself not just uh, in form, but she's got herself a really nice ride. And I'm oh, just still trying to find it. Good to see. Hey, Sharky, so, I was impressed with the ride. It it's Celine. sorry, it's Bold and Lucy, and it won at. Uh, no, that was the one that won at thirty-one. You just keep talking to yourself, Shark, right, and you I'll have a party for two. Party for two, Matty. Go for uh, it, guys. Hey, the Haas. I was impressed with the way Celine Gordry rode that winner on uh, Saturday, Sharky, there as well. And uh, Julius Sandu's got a few nice horses at the moment. He's yeah. going really well. Yeah, Julius is going, he's going very well. Uh, there's a couple of those, I guess, smaller trainers at, down Cranbourne that are having a, a bit of luck. EJ getting a debut winner at Flemington on, on Friday really afternoon, nice knocking horse. off a really well-touted horse. And, uh, yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's simmering along very very well, isn't it? The Cranbourne. What do you make complex? of that two-year-old race on Saturday? Is there uh, Amur? He's two for two now. He just doesn't do it with much flair. Um, the stablemate, who was a very short price favourite early doors, was pretty disappointing. And some people call me has got the could <laughs> you be know, a nice, you know the breeding nice of it, don't horse. you? Oh, I haven't had a look at the pretty. Some people call me Maurice. Yeah, yeah. The song. Ah, yeah. it's very well known. Uh, Party for two, sorry, is the horse that um, Nikita rode a double at, in at Durban. She had won by seven and a half lengths, two starts back at the Sunshine Coast. Came out at a dollar seventy at Durban on Saturday, and bolted in by uh, three lengths, and is now the talk of the town up there. Party for two. The the jump out form and the two year old stuff. Like we see it year after year. Impressive jump out trial winner does not equate to race day superstar and it's we've got all this access to vision and footage and everything else but there is no substitute Matty and we spoke about this on Friday Mickey when we were looking at the card there is no substitute 
for race experience. And Amur had the race experience. International may well prove to be a better horse in time. That, it, that, that could it felt be subpar, isn't it? The that whole program was subpar, wasn't it? It's summer racing. So we're, they're not going to go on to be... the autumn as yet. But well, they're not going to be black bookers for the diamond or anything. It kicks well, up pretty quickly because well, we see the Thursday. diamond series start on Thursday. So mm. there's not a lot of... Uh, there's not a lot of lag time here between what are we, what we call off-season two-year-old racing and the big show with this series towards the diamond. So. Did we see a contender in Sydney? Uh, Mikey, let's have a listen to another two-year-old from the Snowden camp who they've got a high rating of. Coinside being cuddled from Kundalini and now Don Corleone runs in. Rockabilly Rebel dropped out. Coinside Kundalini and Don Corleone guns them down on the outside and Don Corleone takes the lead from Kundalini. They beat off Coinside and Don Corleone on debut. A brilliant winner. Ron Duffersy's been talking up Don Corleone for quite some time and he delivered on Saturday. So they've got an arsenal of two-year-olds, the Snowdens, haven't they? They do. You know, they often do, don't they? They're well supported by, you know, cult syndicates and really strong syndicators, but they've got a great eye for a horse themselves and they buy well. Uh, I just love the way Don Corleone joined in in that race on Saturday, loomed up sort of covering ground around the corner, uh, was still travelling well, ran up to them and then probably lacked that bit of, I guess, killer instinct to really go and, and smack that field, but... Just put them away nicely, ridden out, got the head down, bum up, into work and and did the job. And that's a tradesman-like win, I guess you could say. Another uh, extreme choice. Yeah, another extreme mm. choice, exactly. But a horse that will continue to improve. And Sharky, you, you do, you see think, that. do you think we've seen the Slipper and Diamond winner? Mm, well, depends where Tracy goes to. Because I, I was super excited about King's Gambit going to the Diamond. And now it seems we're in a bit of a holding pattern with him, depending on how he runs first up in Sydney, as to whether they target the slipper or the diamond. So he was the top seed for the diamond. The slipper, I'm, I'm not really thinking about at the moment. Probably haven't seen it yet. Mm. I think there's a, there's a few. There's no standouts at this stage. Um, Kings been Gambit, some good winners. Kings Gambit could be the standout. There's we need to see him do it again. Yeah, right, Kings been. Gambit, VC more recently. You know, um Charmstone, you know, they've been some really nice wins and some good performances, but I don't think anyone's seen a jaw-dropping win. Uh, Skirt the Law's one that just keeps... They don't necessarily have to be jaw-dropping. Under the radar. Like, she was really good in the Minions last year. great. Time. Yeah, Platinum Jubilee was good. Summer Loving was good in that race. You know, there, there were, there's a lot of good, talented two-year-olds. Whether we have an absolute dominant standout horse this year, I'm not sure. A few SMSs Maybe coming through here. And don't forget, uh, best SMS uh, text of the day will win a round of golf for two at Devil Bend. Shark, you're dreaming. Proprietary was average on the weekend. The second horse was better. That's from Ted. Ted, go and watch the race again, pal. The horse did not get around the corner, and he only was straight for 150 metres and very good through the line. Big track, a little bit more ground. Ted, you, you, you lay him, Ted, on Betfair, and I'll back him with you. Yeah, get your act together, Ted. Uh, so Ted <laughs> likes field at the moment a little bit better. Um, David Haynes was a very reserved and shy person. He let mm. the horse do the talking. Uh, Kingston Town had longevity. Well, he didn't have a... Gr- um, uh, Kingston Town had a lot of longevity. I always believe he may not have won... Uh, he he may not have won uh, a Cox Plate if Dulcify hadn't well, passed away. I'll tell you one thing, and this is about you know carnivals and what horses can and can't do, is for most of his career, he never raced in the autumn. He, he, he had so many issues that he 
he only raced for half the offering of the year, um, Kingston Town, and those were the days when you could give him a lot more help to recover and so on. So a good example, Kingston Town, of uh, you don't have to dance at every dance, and he didn't. He basically bailed out of, uh, of, of one particular carnival in order to be right for the main one. A couple of SMSs here. Hey, boys, the best day's racing over the weekend was at Yay. Yay Cup. Great weather, sensational racing, fantastic crowd. The Metropolitan CEO should go and attend a picnic meeting to see how it's done. Locals make it work. Tony from Kilmore. Agree entirely, Tony. Uh, morning, boys. Great Western was a cracking race day. Carl and all volunteers ran a terrific event. B29 saluting in the cup was a cherry on top. Uh, get it on your bucket list. That's Joshy from Horsham who tipped B29. Did, yeah. Um, well done to Joshy. Sadly, I took his just, double with the horse earlier in the race. Just yeah, on the Great Western <laughs> Cup, there was a massive betting plunge on a horse that hadn't raced for at least seven months, trained by Andrew Bobbin, who never said a word down at... Uh, and Rick was totally non-plus, Rick McIntosh, in the lead into the race, saying, why the hell is this thing being backed off the map? It was backed into something like six to four, and it trailed the field home and never looked likely. And it was the most misplaced betting plunge I think I've ever seen on the bobbin runner. At, at, at Great Western. At Great Western in the there Cup. Because there was yeah. a big plunge in race, three Greenhill Prince, trained by Shay Keating, that did come off. Uh, was it in the Cup, was it? Yep. Rudimental, just, I think. Rudimental, and about. second last, I reckon. Yeah, 360, got beaten nine lengths. Uh, we need to take a break. More to come on the other side of this. We'll delve into what the spring carnival may look like. What does Sharky, what does Matty, and what do you think? Let us know. That's up next. Placing their opinion on the line, it's the verdict. My understanding is that the Cox Plate will take the second weekend that we spoke about there where the Ballarat Cup initially was and the 1,000 guineas would move to where the Cranbourne Cup... Now, I need to add, too, that this does need final approval from the Racing Victoria board and the boards of all three clubs. The answer's the same as when I was in your studio back in the middle of December. Uh, we're willing to consider all options and yeah, we're in dialogue with Racing Victoria. They're talking to the other clubs and some key stakeholders. We're waiting for Racing Victoria to pull together what the plan may look like and put a compelling offer to the club for us to consider to move the, the date of the Ladbrokes Cox Plate. We're extremely positive about how the spring program works at the moment. Um, there has been um, innovation, which you're well aware of, um, and last year's innovation of Cab Champion Stakes Day on the last day of the carnival was a considered proposal over a number of years. Lots of work went into it in general. Enhancing what we already have in what is the envy of the world is the way to go. I think uh, it's a very short turnaround from spring to autumn. And, um, yeah, I think it would affect it. So, uh, they want, yeah, I'd say they want to be quite careful there. Do you get your ideas canvassed? Do they come and say, hey, Kieran, what do you think from a training point of view about how this may look? Uh, no, not, 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 um, not, not as much as what you would think. Um, yeah, which is, um, I suppose, surprising. But, um, uh, yeah, not as much as what you'd think. Uh, I suppose it depends on you know, where the rest of the spring lies as well and how long they've been up to get to that race. You know, at that time, if they've had to have three or four runs since August, then you know, they'd probably need a bit of a breather. So that's a little snapshot of the discussion we had here last week when Paul Tatnell broke the story that this is something that is very, very close to occurring from Racing Victoria's headquarters. Michael Brow, the boss of Mooney Valley. Steve Rossich, the boss of the VRC. Kieran Mars, thoughts? He's against it. And Sam Friedman, who's 
like a lot of trainers, I think, uh, Maddie and Sharky, just wanting to get a bit more clarity and detail around this. So the essence of the push is that the Cox Plate would move from October 28 to November 25. That Cox Plate vacated Saturday race day. The Group 1 Moyer would then be run on that race day, along with the Mooney Valley Cup, the Amy Vars, uh, a couple of other races as well. The, the Friday night meeting would either just become a normal Friday night meeting or maybe it could be taken over by Cranbourne. Uh, the Thousand Guineas, as part of this move, would also... Um, move from that Wednesday, the traditional Wednesday slot before the Caulfield Guineas, to November 18, the week after Champions Day at Flemington. And the Memsey Stakes would also be moved back to what would be, I think, Zipping Classic Day. So there is a lot of juggling. There would be a lot of tweaking. Obviously, the centrepiece is the Cox Plate. 100 years of history. It would be a monumental move, a monumental decision. And as Michael Brow has said previously, Matty, the Cox Plate is coming off two very strong editions. The Melbourne Cup winner of the past two years has come through the Cox Plate. Record turnover, record ratings in their last two editions as well. So, Matty, I think I know what the answer is going to be to this question, but are you for or against the mooted moves? Uh, against because I, I haven't had it explained. I don't think anyone's had it explained as to what the, uh, the case for it actually really is. I mean, the yeah. case of warmer weather, no doesn't stand up the case of vacant sporting space doesn't stand up because the cox plate and all these races are run in vacant sporting space footy finishes racing takes over carnival goes for about six week weeks in what is clear air and has been for 100 years you know so um and then so what what this would actually do through the traditional lens of the spring carnival is have a massive dip you know, you've got um, Turnbull, Caulfield Guineas, Caulfield Cup, and then this nothing meeting at Mooney Valley where Peter Volani's is just going to go, right, I'm going to whack on an $8 million wait for age race now Correct. and drag Jamie Carr and all these all these superstars up to Sydney. All for what? This, this, this um, interpretation of the flow of wagering and so on where, it, it to quote Race of Victoria, it falls off the edge of a cliff after um, uh, the Champions Day. Well... Circuses leave town and then something else takes over. The The transition to the growth areas, the demographics of Cranbourne and Ballarat and showcasing to uh, the new audience, the next generation audience through grassroots and all these sorts of things. Uh, just saying, you know, oh, hang on, look at this. Look at this red flag here. The wagering drops at this time of year. Well, well, how do you... <sighs> How do you keep the circus in town and keep it going when it when it when it when it's run its course, you know? And then it parlays to me into this magnificent country circuit, picnics, Christmas, New Year, bang. Uh, I, I, I just want to hear. I just want to hear the case now that Paul Tattnall's come out and uh, basically said, "Look, it's going to happen." I think you'll find. I, I wouldn't have a clue, but I would imagine that Mooney Valley, in order for them to agree to this, they would have a very, very heavy wish list or demands list in order to sign off on it. And I'm, I would imagine that that list of demands is almost a pie in the sky. I think, because I think Moody Valley Michael Brown played this very well because they're like, we're very happy not to move the Cox Plate, but hey, if you want to give us everything, we are open to it. So right. make us an $8 million Cox Plate. Um, give us where's the extra, pathway into it? Give though? us an extra where's, where's the adjustment to the, the autumn? Like Even McAvoy, when he came on, said, oh, I love the idea. And then he said, however... Dot, dot, dot. Well, the howevers haven't been answered. The, well, no, the stretching is... of the autumn carnival. For, and and for these instance, are the no. these are the intangibles that uh, I don't think anyone can actually answer until, if it happens, it becomes 
um, comes to fruition. How does a Caulfield Guineas winner keep going to a Cox well, they Plate don't. They don't. five weeks later? They don't. And why, why are we doing this? Like, why are we doing this? I don't understand why we're even having this conversation. It's just got a life of its own, this this uh, plan, this hypothesis that by putting the, the Cox Plate back a month, that's going to change everything. And it's... It's what Mooney Valley. Everyone says, "Oh, well, Mooney Valley just has to say yes." What about, what about the VRC? What about the MRC? What are their thoughts, their opinions, their how they're impacted? That doesn't count in this in this decision. You know, we've just tinkered. So, so we've just added a Champions Day, which was the Group One full stop to the Spring Carnival. That's not changing. That's still there. But now we're having a Cox Plate. What? Two, three weeks after that, something like that. How does that even make sense? It just looks like change for change's sake, or this is the 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 current decision makers in in our sport saying to us that we value people betting on their phones more than we do spectators on course, more than we do improving what we're doing during the spring carnival as it stands, making that race day experience better. Because if you, if you look at what the fans say, and this is all based apparently on what the fans want, well, the fans are saying that they don't want to go to the races anymore because the spring carnival crowds have been, de- pardon me, declining since but 2006. But they do, they do want to go to the country races. Yeah, but in town, which is what we're talking mm, about, yeah. they've been declining since 2006. Because it's too expensive. It's too expensive. So uh, now we're yeah. elongating something that already has a declining crowd. Well, where's the sense? I don't see the sense. So, I so get if the they've got the stats... It's a very city-centric mentality too. I get the feeling that um, what is driving a lot of this is that, um, as you said, Matty, the turnover, to use um, a phrase that I think has been spoken about, whether it's from Racing Victoria, is that the turnover, it drops substantially after... Champions Day, the four days of Flemington, which you would expect, and then it rolls into Cranbourne, Ballarat, Pakenham, standalone Saturdays. So we're probably talking about a fifty percent decline, whether it's roughly eighty to one hundred million to forty to fifty million. So I think what the theory is is if that we elongate the carnival, if we continue to have premium metropolitan spring carnival um, Saturday cards that turnover may continue at the 80 to 100 million level which means there's a lot more revenue for racing victoria a lot more revenue for the individual clubs as well like you're talking about elite horses how much money do you want they're awash with no but but that's the theory whether that actually occurs well what's what's your what's your do punters have a finite amount of money um, to be to be punting on and look at what you you know you don't just reach out the money tree and say well i'm just going to keep punting for another month we want to bet on the best product possible we want to bet on elite horses. We want to bet on elite competition. If you like betting on sport, you like betting on elite sport, right? That's basically the mentality most people have. But those elite performers, the horses, they can't just keep going. That's the other forever issue. and ever and ever and ever. So we can bet on them. It's not a casino sport, and they're not robots. There's got to be that management of the animal in there as well. Now we expect to roll out another month for the spring carnival whatever, towards the Cox Plate. And then there's the reality of the Autumn Carnival. What happens to that? Oh, we have to push that back. Oh, we push that back. Okay, well, that 
that bugger's Adelaide. Well, you can't push. Which I, is I, I don't struggling. think you can. Push. It encroaches. It pushes into that time that's traditionally Sydney's, and people say, "Well, Sydney's pushed into ours." This is a, this is the issue overall. There's no national approach. This is like a free for all. Like it feels like a free for all now. Oh, but that's but that's 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 the like position we're in because <laughs> yeah. But this perpetuates the free for all. Racing New South Wales has made it a free for all. So you either you either try to answer, try to respond. Or you get run over. Now, is what, this the right what way about, to respond? What I'm about sure. the assumption that people that people are not ingrained with traditional ways of doing things too, like footy, racing? So they are running a very big risk and taking a very big gamble that the that the that the crowds will come along with them on the ride. Cricket put on a. Uh, out-of-season game at the MCG in October. No one went because it's out-of-season. Big Bash pushed its luck and everyone's... No one watches Big Bash well, anymore. The so, the goose so the there are a lot of... And, and I had Gil McLaughlin on and he, he his view was why the hell would racing even think that it shouldn't parlay straight in after footy? Why do they think that we're... That we can't... We can't don't have an element of hand in glove. There is an element of hand in glove with the AFL and... And also, so the, the traditional newspapers and all that sort of stuff. Well, they don't. They're basically becoming less relevant every year. Because anyway, so. there, there is also a, a, a theory or sentiment that because football is the behemoth and it rolls over everything. They've got their trade period. They've got everything which runs into the spring carnival. So that could be another theory of like maybe if we push back, we will get a little bit more clear air. What's your thoughts on what Michael Brow almost intimated when I spoke to him that? We could do a three-year trial of this, and if the figures no. don't stack up, if the engagement's not there, we go back to Can you really see it reversing? Because once that space is vacated, something else takes it. New South Wales will make hay while the sun shines. They'll, are we, they'll are we giving up space. the Spring Carnival to Peter Volandis? Is that what we're basically doing? The traditional dates, are we now saying you can have... You can have basically what we've had for 150 years, and then we'll just sort of we'll take we'll roll into November and early December and hope like hell that it works. Is that what's going on? What what's what's your take on it? Oh, I struggle to get my head around how you can actually get this to work and implement it with the flow-on effects. Is the Caulfield Cup now stuck too far out on its own? Yeah, um, too much detached from. Where the core field, where the Cox, Cox played into Melbourne Cup. What about the history of Cox played into Melbourne Cup? Exactly right. So, and what do the programs look like moving through? I can. Part of me goes, gee, that that could look exciting. I wouldn't mind seeing what it would do and how the trainers and what the flow on would be. But then I can't see how you have a Caulfield Guineas horse in a Cox plate. Uh, the thousand guineas now going to be run after the Oaks. That scratches my head. And There's all of all of these things where maybe we need to change our mindset, but we, you grow up with the traditional pathways, which I am struggling to get my head around how the new pathways would look. Are and they what even that, pathways? What does that mean? Well, you know, the spring pathway of no, how no, horses what, progress. What, what is proposed spring. now doesn't feel like a pathway system to me. It feels like dead ends, and then well, you would have uh, you would have the horses now for a cox plate coming through the spring champion. Now, what does... The Caulfield stakes... But, but, but that's not optimum for Racing Victoria to have it come well, through the spring champion. The, uh, not the spring champion, sorry, the champion's day, I should yeah, say. Yeah. Sorry, champion's day. Um, what does that do for the, the Caulfield stakes? Um, where it's been small on numbers in recent years, but very high on quality because they are the Cox Plate horses preparing to go through there. How does that race continue to have any revenue? So, so there's all these queries and all these guesses and gambles and risks, but now what we need for Racing Victoria to come out and do, to be completely fair, is for them to explain... Because what we've had so far is media bites, 
Uh, we've had Andrew Jones in this studio and elsewhere um, speculating on a possibility. Matt Jones, uh, Matt Welsh came on with us uh, uh, and very carefully explained that we may be thinking about this, but nothing's certain. And that was only a matter of weeks ago. In order to program properly program around this sort of thing, these race clubs are going to have to know very soon what this looks like. Is it quick deadline? So now I think the most interesting thing is going to be the presentation from Racing Victoria um, to explain this change, if it gets off, which it may not, probably won't because of Mooney Valley, uh, so you, and, ex- and answer the questions that everyone is you'll asking. You'll say Mooney, because Michael Brown's been open and honest saying that we are open to it if we get what we want. You, you don't think Mooney Valley will, in the end... Agree to it. Because there's no reason to. I, they've, they've, there's a committee of very um, uh, experienced, intelligent people on the committee at Mooney Valley. $8 million Cox Plate and another Saturday so in the spring Whoopie do. Whoopie do. That's to change 100 years uh, for a, an iconic horse race, you know. Whether in the back of Mooney Valley's mind they think new track, new beginning, new era, I don't know, but that's a terrible... I can't see how... Michael Brad did say they would take it to the members because I got an SMS asking, would the club consult with Mooney Valley members? He said, we'll canvass their opinions as well. I'm well, surprised... well, 90% of them will tell them to shove the idea, so what are they going to do then? I'm surprised that Akira Ma hasn't been spoken to. Um, Who to... has been spoken to? I don't think it's about asking the trainers. It's bigger than the trainers. No, you think... can ask the trainers. Why can't they have input? Ask Cricket Australia and the AFL about what happens when you tamper with history and get it wrong. Yeah, you but know? I think you need to take their viewpoints in. They're the horses that are... They're the ones that are preparing the horses that are going to be aimed at this I'd race. Just love to but see... don't solely ask them. I'd just love to see when they say, this is what the fans want. Well, how do we know that? If there's been research done... Can we see that? Like, that'd be great research but I think, to, to be able to make public. But I, I'd actually, love to know what I think the fans Racing Victoria has been clever in this because I think this is what they're doing now. This is what they are uh, monitoring is you put it out there in the public that this is something that is going to likely occur or is on the cards and we'll see what the feedback is, which is exactly what they're doing. We're talking about it. I'm about to give you after the break a lot of response coming through on the SMS. But, but great administrative ideas aren't, aren't ones that are so kites fly- that are flown and then thrown to the exactly. people and then just... That's, and then that's, not that's what the AFL decisions. does every uh, year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. The are AFL a, are we do in a position that to be doing that every though? year. Uh, we need to take a exactly break. Flying. We need to take a break. There's a lot of correspondence coming through. I'll get to that after this. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is The Verdict. Welcome back to The Verdict. There's a lot of debate and discussion going on around the potential spring carnival changes. We'll we'll go through past 10 o'clock today because there's no racing in Victoria, so we can continue this and also want to talk about uh, Dean Lester. Uh, Give you an update on the GoFundMe after we spoke to him late last week as well. SMSs flying through. Hi, guys. Great discussion. Why can't we just have a Valley invitation race, $5 million prize money, on the late November date? Keep Cox Plate where it is. No change in tradition. Just have a new race and leave it at that. Thanks, guys. Michael from Ballarat. Well, that would answer some questions. It would keep the traditionalists and the flow of the um, the carnival as is. Well, but, they want to have two cox plates. Well, but, but, Virtually, they're having two cox plates. But we've got a championship uh, race as well with $3 million. Why is the debate um, always split around race date changes between the innovators and the traditionalists? Like, I don't consider myself to be a traditionalist. I'm no. more of a... 
You try to be you try to be sensible, this? don't you? You yeah. try to be sensible. Well, so what, why the, the it... innovators think the traditionalists are all uh, dinosaurs who are stuck. No, they do. They think they're dinosaurs who are stuck in the okay. mud. And are you about to read out? I it's certainly wouldn't consider myself a traditionalist. No, it's almost personally. like red corner, blue corner, isn't it? Yeah, it's I don't you know? get yeah. that division. Yeah. To grow the sport, you need to grow your audience. If these changes oh, grow okay. audience and turnover, how can it possibly be bad for the sport? Well, why is why is because it's more complicated than that. It is way more complicated. Its engagement is declining, apart from wagering, which might mean people are betting more. Right, you got to look at the, yeah, what are the no. statistics around that. That's a, it's a short-term accountants mentality. That one that moving tweet. the weight for age championship of the Southern Hemisphere is lunacy. Isn't there an argument for growing the sport? Australia's most popular but not best race currently comes at the end of the carnival. Uh, if you've got new eyeballs on the sport, give them some quality races to enjoy. That's Andrew in Croydon. Again, it's a guess and an assumption that you'll get Croydon, new eyeballs. Complete <laughs> assumption that those new yeah. eyeballs are yeah. sitting there on November 20-whatever yeah. well, saying, well, we wish I had a group one, well, right? And they weren't the old bo- eyeballs from October 25? <laughs> um, real racing fans are getting ripped again. Uh, we want the best horses racing each other, not a diluted Cox plate surrounded by benchmark 78s in late November. Racing Victoria, please try and find ways to engage more fans through the traditional days. Getting good horses to compete against each other is the easiest good starting way point. to do that. Yep. Um, so attendances have been declining since 2006, so we should do nothing to try and rectify that. Another SMS. Uh, no, they need we to... should absolutely do something. But Concentrate what? on your country cups and what we've already got and promote the hell out of them and, uh, and a... maximise what you've got. That's a question. Why are attendances declining year yeah. on year, every that's, single year, on our Group 1 race days? It's got to do with... Why? Uh, a, 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 a increasing lack of connection uh, with racing. It's got to do with cost. So they're saying, oh, stretch it out and put on more city meetings. Well, are we still going to be paying a lot to get through the gate and paying $14 for a gin and tonic? Well, then, you know. Well, just on that, guys, I thought Cup Week was expensive, but try going and uh, buying a drink at the tennis. Oh, my God. Uh, Cup Week looks cheap. Paul from Glen <laughs> Uh, I think every major event now, you're going to get stung 13 to 15 bucks for a beer or a, or a, or a spirit. That's a, or a, that's a lot for a beer. It is a lot, but that's now what unfortunately seems to be bloody standard practice. Not, not, not in the country. Uh, shifting the Cox Plate, no. Uh, stupidity personified from Dave. Uh, wait till the interest rates rise, really starts biting this year, then a lot of people uh, won't be able to afford to go to the races. Uh, boys, still no mention of the flow and effect of country cups. With the revamp, we know once a year clubs like Sananad, Witchy Proof, benefit from running into these feature metro meetings. But they don't contribute significantly to wagering turnover, which seems to be the be-all and end-all. Boys, Oyster here. Racing is continuously uh, evolving. Uh, We need to be brave to try new things. Personally, I don't think moving the Cox Plate will revolutionise the spring. However, if it was to move and we restructured the whole spring by pushing back a few weeks, I think it would work. Extending the spring, however, will end up being another big bash failure. I think well, many, the VRC said we are never moving. Uh, the Melbourne Cup is first Tuesday in November. That is not moving. Would you be amenable if there was a shift of a couple of weeks back of everything moving back? So the same pattern, the same race that format. Makes, but, but, that but, makes more but sense. pigs will fly at the same yeah, time well, because it, that remains scrapping 12 months of the year with jurisdictions that don't talk to each other. With See, what before the pattern fell apart, before Racing Australia fell apart and the war began... This we did it as best as we possibly could nationally, where everything had its little slice of the pie relative to the scale of that industry. Adelaide, Tassie, Perth, Brisbane, 
all fitted into the to the fabric of it and had their little time in the sun because everyone agreed that that's what the model was. But now everyone doesn't care about that. This this idea that the pattern doesn't matter and that is, it's just so it's so detrimental. It's it's it, 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 it's so terrible that that mentality has taken but over because no one a, wins out of but it. But we have no national, and that's the thing. It's a state by state um, run sport with state. Revenues. Why don't we focus on trying to fix that problem? Why don't we try and fix try and fix that problem? You got any ideas how? No. Well, just keep trying. You know, it's all. How can you possibly at the border? Yeah, I know. But how can you? How can you possibly say we're going to change 150 years because we're having a bit of a problem with the mate across the border? You've got to. You've got to be more creative than that. You can't just throw your hands in the air, you know. Uh, just a couple of ones before we go to news. Uh, boys, Recox played. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's from Nick. Uh, guys, I've listened to the Spring Proposal live and again on the podcast. I get it, and I'm a racing person. I just don't think the proposal has been communicated well enough. Sponsorship and on-course patronage will not cover prize money bills to keep racing sustainable into the future. We need increased turnover. That's from Pev. Um, and then the last one here, RV needs to listen to Kieran Maher. Any delays in spring will impact negatively on autumn. Cheers, Les, from Atwood. So I think the majority there, and there's more coming through, which I can get to after the news, are probably against. But there are a handful here which are saying, you know what, let's give it a go. So I want to hear where people's opinion is because, you know, obviously turnover is so important. We're about to, well, there's conversation around adding 10 races to every Saturday. Mm. So that, that... Shouldn't that address your turnover week on week on week on week on week? Well, on week. that's what New South Wales is doing. Uh, that's what they are building the back of, and they've got different funding models to what Victoria does. Is that what but we need, that's though? why Victoria will never be able to compete with New South Wales for prize money. Is that what we need? Don't ten races on a Saturday? Matt another love benchmark. Ten races another on benchmark. Sixty four on a Saturday. No, it's all no, that's going. What in a, it's all going. Hey, we need to go to Johnny Bowden. More to come after this. On RSN's Racing Pulse, this is the verdict. Welcome back to The Verdict. A couple of other quick issues to discuss, but we'll just uh, wrap up the Spring Carnival discussion about the Cox Plate, a few more SMSs, uh, that text growing the sport. Uh, this is exactly why Matt Stewart is wrong with engaging with trainers because you don't grow the sport by extending carnivals. Horses can't keep running. We need to hear from the trainers who train those horses. I'm not saying don't hear from the trainers. I'm saying do hear from the trainers, but don't exclus- exclusively hear from the trainers because every... Seems like every time an issue comes up in racing, everyone goes, "Well, what do the trainers think?" It's if, the industry is a lot bigger than the trainers, but of course they need to have a say in this. Where is the data that justifies mm. these changes, or, or is it just a gut feel from uh, the innovators? I've always thought the best uh, form comes out of the Cox Plate for the Melbourne Cup, with its natural progression to thirty-two hundred for the Cup. Uh, if the wheel ain't broken, don't fix it. Uh, that's Ryan from Clifton Springs. Um, uh, uh, and then there was one other one down here, um, another one saying that, um, why not give it a go if you want to change, uh, if you want to increase the revenue. Um, guys, over 50s um, have given race attendance away in the last five years due to online ticketing. Yeah, maybe in race day prices, I think more of an emphasis on the young race goer has come at a huge cost. That's from Lex. Uh, and there's another one here, uh, Sharky. Um the Everest sells out because they have an after party. Does the Spring Carnival need bigger pop stars, Sharky? Probably. You could. I don't know why not. Uh, Flemington does do that pretty well with you know music and entertainment throughout the race day. Uh, Caulfield's played with it in the past, haven't they? So it's going to be interesting to see. Look, it would be a very brave decision 
to be Andrew Jones, who's just jumped into the chair. I mean, it could be a legacy-making decision if it, if it happens and it works, or it could be a very tough decision to have <laughs> on your nameplate because it's changing 100 years of history. Um, should they give it a go? We'll find out. Um, there'll be a lot of discussion and debate around the board table yeah, in I'd coming be weeks. Curious to know at RV level too. Like obviously there's a board and there's a tiers of administration and so on there. That what what the, the discussion internally is about this mm. as well. So uh, I don't think we'll get anything on the record until this decision's been made. But we keep asking the question. If we um, we'd love to get Andrew or anyone else that wants to come in and have a chat about it, the offer is always open. A couple of other things, boys. The crack of millions on the weekend. Um, it was another big day for Tiakau and. Uh, it was a tough watch if you're on the favourite in the last. Here comes Wild Knight out after Prowess holding. Wild Knight can't get it. It is Prowess. Prowess wins the Tanaka Million three-year-old classic. Held wider running on. Now we've got Tokyo Tycoon. It'll enable Wobbly. The very start. Tokyo Tycoon though. And they do it again, Tiako. Tiako, Tokyo Tycoon has won the Kanaka Million. It's Imperatriz in front at 100 metres. Formal Alley Cat, then Dragon Queen, and then further back is Faithful Feet. She's too classy. And there's another class act for the night. Imperatriz won it. Second over was Al Alley Cat. A nice run, and then came Dragon Queen. Yeah, Imperatriz getting the job done at $1.45. If you're on uh, Legato in the last, the Caracas three-year-old millions, it was just a horror, horror watch. I, I still hope they bring her out here, Sharky. I'm not sure what race she could be... Um, aimed towards, but she did a, a massive job to get up and run fourth in the end. Yeah, she was enormous. Just never, ever, ever got clear running. Just oh, sort of like half a gap was coming, Maddie, but nothing that she could really surge through. And she finished well, but again, short of room. Uh, Prowess gets the job done. Big day for Rich Hill with Satano Aladdin. Yeah. Soaring Tokyo Tycoon and then Plasi, who was Absolutely airborne. Totally airborne. I don't know how many he's got at the Caracas sale price here, oh. but he's just absolutely flying. The average price just but, went up. But just interesting, isn't it? Like the the New Zealand traditional, you know, it, it runs over summer. All its high, all its feature races run over summer, but that's the way they've done it for a long time as well. And the wet, if you look at the track conditions, you know, when it's a good, good fall here in October, November, that wet weather always lingers in New Zealand, so it's obviously played out in a sensible way where they run their feature races at the at a, at an optimum time of year. But it's not to say that it's, it works anywhere else; it just mm. happens to work there. Well, they've managed so. to engage a younger audience without and a punting audience as well. Well, I think well, that's, a, that's built off the back of that. The boys, boys get paid, get yeah. paid punt. Club. Well, they're not even associated with. That's no, not they, an, they've started that themselves. That's not an idea that's been cooked up by a marketing team. That's a group. That yeah. How did they go own. by the way on the weekend? Oh no, they had a losing week. Did for, they? I think a losing day. I think the first time at that meeting, but uh, they had nearly a million dollars in the pool. <laughs> it's like they have raised a million dollars for a punters club, and they've got people all around the country dialed in and watching the races. And that's a that's... grassroots outside of the sport, well outside of the administration mm. of the sport mm. idea that have just has totally invigorated that race stuff. So it. it yeah, you don't need to move things around sometimes. You just no, need no. Imagine, an idea imagine having that engagement potentially. and punters. I've got a couple of mates um, who aren't racing aficionados, but they get involved in a punt club. We've got a punt club on the Australian Open tennis, like just all our mates. And and you know what? Because the tennis this year, we've lost all the big stars. I was like, 
this sounds terrible, uh, Gabriel responsibly, but I was like, we almost need to have a couple of multis to get involved and get interested in the tennis this year. Mm. That's what you need to do to get that group involved. A little interest, you know, not going crazy. Have a few fun spring carnival punts with mates to bring them in. You know the difference with your punters group now in the tennis? Once tennis is over, you've got to find something else to bet on. What boys get paid have done really well is they've parlayed that interest in the punt mm. into buying horses, racing horses, yep. trading horses. But they have people engaged now across a number of aspects of the industry. It all started from being a part of a big betting syndicate. Let's all put in our 50 bucks and you know, be part of these mega bets and go and cheer and have a party. And now they're getting involved in bloodstock and the grassroots stuff. Mm. It's yep. really, really clever how they've done it. Mm. SMS here saying, hey, boys, make sure you follow Pia from Race 3 in New Zealand. Yeah. Aussie Keyhorse coming to Sydney. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, that is from The Missile. Just a couple of quick ones before we wrap up. Um, Tommy Berry, 12 months. He's going to appeal. Maddie, what's your gut feel on that situation about um, getting the the gratuity? Um, that's not the word they use. What's the word? The consideration yeah. they use, um, which was... From a punter, he said, I don't want it, but if you want to do something nice, you could his mum's bank account. It's a bit arm's length, isn't it? Slings with yeah. jockeys occur all the time with winning owners. Mm. Is this uh, a bit of an archaic um, rule, or is it something that racing really does need to uphold the integrity of the sport? Got to confess, I'm not up to speed with the absolute details of every aspect of it, but uh, as you say, it's, it's, it's a massive grey area. But one argument that's come out of it is... Oh, jockey! Show. I think uh, one of the leading trainers was on another radio Wayne, station. Wayne, Wayne yeah. Harris. Uh, Wayne Harris. <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> Why don't they just let jockeys? Well, New Zealand. Speaking of New Zealand, Wayne New Hall. Zealand uh, learned their lesson on that, and they they, they allowed jockeys to bet on the horses they were riding, and then they stopped it. Mm. Then they stopped it because it's just a, it's an unnecessary risk. If it's a clean cut rule where you just say jockeys can't bet, it's a clean rule. Uh, it eliminates a lot of grey areas, uh, and I I certainly don't agree with that. I think Tommy Berry was actually saying, oh, look, you know, I'm actually looking forward to when I come back and da-da-da, but, but then to appeal. So, no, I don't know. I, well, you know, everyone has a right to appeal, I guess, but um, we'll see what happens. And he, he's one of the good guys, Tommy. Like, I don't think you would be thinking that there's, I mean, I mean, uh, from what I can see, anything untoward because he is what is usually known as a clean skin in the game. He's always a great ambassador and a great promoter of racing. Um, yep. Just to wrap things up, uh, having a chat to Dean Lester last Thursday, it was so good to hear Dino's voice, and he's just a remarkable person. We've spoken a lot about him over the last week or so. The GoFundMe page, boys, is now at $250,000, which is wow. just incredible, just brilliant. And I know Dean's been blown away. If you missed a little bit of his chat on Thursday, here's a, here's a little snapshot of what Dean had to say about his battle. Uh, at the moment... Um you know, their, their thought is that it's a cancer that can't be treated. So um, that makes it very difficult to, to you know, say you're going to have a long life. Uh, uh, that's the problem. So if we can get any any idea of the source of the uh, the problem, well, then they can give me a, more clarity. For those that said, oh, I'll keep fighting, I've got the mouth guard already in and the, the gloves on, so I'm ready. Um, I'm greatly appreciative of the, the fight on. The fight is on. Um, that's what we love to hear from Dino. Um, for everything he's been through, Matt, you and Dean have been mates for 
years and years. And I loved you telling that story just a few weeks ago uh, with Fluffy, Fluffy and Dino's <laughs> mum setting up for yeah. the win on the picnics. No, exactly right. Well, how do you describe the situation with Dean? It's uh, I've never known a more resilient person and a more, you know, keep on punching type mm. thing, you know, despite what life's thrown at him. And I don't know anyone whose life has thrown more difficulties at than Dean. And so he's such a fighter. It's, a, it's an extremely... Uh, difficult corner he finds himself in there's no doubt about that but uh, he's a great fighter and I think the GoFundMe what it has done has revealed just how deeply Dean has affected people that he wouldn't have even thought you know like and I I imagine Dean has got a lot of uh, comfort from uh, mm. the realising just how, how impactful he's been and, and how loved he is and all the, the the themes that have come across with the social media is never met a better bloke and all those things that are 100% true. So um, I think as much as uh, the financial side of it um, is hopefully easing his mind, I think what would be comforting him has, has been the messaging attached to the, the actual... Uh, GoFundMe. So, uh, yeah, mate, we're all here for you and uh, we're, we're rooting for you. No doubt about it. Hey, boys, uh, it's been an enjoyable show. Uh, a lot of debate and discussion, which is what the verdict is all about. And Sharky, Matty needs, he said, look, we can't go much longer because I've got to prepare. I've got to get myself ready because oh, there what are... have you got on today? There are, can't are, you tell by the body, nice short sleeve <laughs> collared shirt that I'm wearing? RSN <laughs> photos. No, today. I don't do that anymore. It was oh, photos. Mm. Headshots, publicity shots. What a, where's publicity your? Publicity shots. This is yeah. the only time I've ever arrived better kitted out than. Shorts and t-shirt. Well, we I can think get, the powers of B will be very impressed with that. We can get changed afterwards. His, uh, wardrobe stylist is arriving in half an hour. How do you if think it's that? only headshots, why were we told to dress up? <laughs> I was just thinking, could you imagine the size of Maddie's head on it if it was just a close-up headshot? Because what was your nickname as a kid? It's not a tooth shot. What so was you, your nickname as a kid? It was a watermelon head. No, it wasn't. Bluey trying to nickname me something. Hey, just a quick one. Um, water tank head, wasn't it? Just, water a, tank just a quick head. one. Terry O'Sullivan's three-year disqualification has been extended oh. by, I think, 18... It was supposed to expire on the 16th of April, 2023. And because of uh, circumstances that Racing Victoria has not gone into any great detail about it, I think it involves um, breaching the conditions of his disqualification... So Terry O'Sullivan, who's now pushing 80, who had got three years for the very controversial topic of cobalt, is now had it extended to the 10th of December 2023. I don't know if Terry O'Sullivan had any intention of coming back, but, you know, had to come back you can interpret that any way you see fit, but he's... Okay. Uh, Maddie. I will see you um, for your photo shoot. Sharky, we will see you on Friday. Actually, do you want to do a little little preview of Australia Day to help the punters out. Would you have time to do a small mini shark preview before Australia Day? I've always got time for you. All right. We'll we could focus on the two-year-old races. We'll we'll we're going to Balnearing in Australia? We'll have a little little shark. We're going to Aspen Big Al crowd, low turnover. Balnearing. Big crowd, low turnover. <laughs> Matty Stewart. Thank you. Mick Sharky. Don't, don't tell anyone else Thank that. you. We need to take a break. <laughs> More to come after to this. <laughs>